Wow. That was amazing. Thank you so much. Rob, you know, you can be my shelter any day. <laughs> you can be my sunshine on a rainy day. <laughs> hey, that's what we're talking about today is brotherhood. And there is no better day to talk about manly friendships than on Father's Day. You know, this is a day of barbecues and lawn chairs and gifts of craftsman tools. <laughs> it's a day to glory in manliness. And on this day, it's a great privilege to stand here amongst all of these flowers. <laughs> I am sorry, but we really need a serious makeover. Can a brother get a hand here? I'm a hard-working man. I wear a steel hard hat. I can ride rope, a hammer and paint. Do things with my hands that most men can't. I can't get ahead no matter how hard I try. I'm getting really good at barely getting by. Yep. <laughs> you know, as a dad, I'm the guy who kills the spiders and grooms the lawn. I'm the guy who protects the family fortress. I'm master of the plunger and the guy who pulls all the hair out of the shower drain. <laughs> Who's the one that took the toddlers out of the crib and put them in the big girl bed? This guy right here. Who's the guy that pulled the plug on the nightlight? Uh-huh. Right here. And who's the guy who shouts the loudest at the kids' sporting events? This guy. Who's the guy that barbecues the steaks for the family? My wife. <laughs> well, at least most of the time, just keeping it real. Well, you know, us dads and guys in general, we play a very important role. You know, we do a lot of things right, but we don't always get it right. Sometimes we just mess up. Take a look at this video. Gentlemen, <laughs> yeah, we need to be opening, we need to be really open to growing in these areas that we're weak in, you know, it's time to man up, and one of these areas is actually in the area of our friendships. You know, last month in the Men's Journal magazine, there was an article, the title of which was, Do Men Suck at Friendships? It's a great title for a man's magazine. So there's this 30 years of research that they're investigating men's relationships. And one of the things that they found here is that many men have maybe a few convenience relationships or activity friendships. But when the activity or the convenience ends, so does the relationship. You know, very few men actually have a long-term committed friend that they've known for years. Most guys think of their relationships and friendships in the past tense. 
And I know for myself, I can relate to that. And most of the guys that I talk to seem to relate to that as well. You know, so our social life isn't all that it's cracked up to be, you know, no big deal, right? Well, actually, as I was looking at this, I was surprised to find out that maybe it's a bigger deal than we thought. You know, um, several of these studies indicated that the key to living a long and happy life is more than just, you know, working out and staying healthy and eating the right food. I mean, that's what we thought, right? But also what it's showing is that one of the greatest keys is strong friendships. And not only that, but a lack of friendships can actually be harmful to our health. In a study of over 308,000 people, they found that a lack of friends was just as harmful to your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, alcoholism, or obesity. It can actually cause decreased brain function and motor function. And yet a single friend can add as many as 10 years to your life. I mean, just think, if you gathered 10 friends together, maybe you'd live to 100, right? <laughs> well, like a lot of men, I like to say that my wife is my best friend. Sounds good, right? Well, is that enough? Well, it's interesting. There was a study in Australia in 2005 on aging, and it said that, yes, indeed, family relationships help boost our lifespan. And yet at the same time, when you add friendships, it turbo boosts it as much as 22%. 22%. You know, I think that the message here is that one of the greatest things that we can do as men and fathers and husbands is to invest into deep, strong relationships with other guys. You know, it takes time and it takes effort, but this research seems to indicate that it's well worth the investment. In the very um, beginning of our series, Pastor Ron talked about a book, and it's called The Lost Virtue of Happiness. And I picked that up this last week, and I was reading a chapter on spiritual friendship. And one of the authors, Klaus Isler, there's a quote from him that I wanted to share with you. He says, we can't walk through this life alone. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do it alone. I mean that it's not even possible to walk with God in the depths that he desires to open up to us if we try to do it on our own. Without a friend who knows us well, someone close enough to know our struggles and our gain, we're in danger of many temptations. We need friends not just to turn to when life gets tough, but also as companions who can encourage us regularly. So here's the bottom line. It's this. We can't experience the good life that God has planned for us in isolation. You see, the work that, wants, that God wants to do in us and through us, it all depends on our connection to one another. And when we invest in those relationships, our spiritual lives, our family lives, and our church become stronger. Now, ladies, I've been thinking about how in the world will you relate to a message on manly friendships? You may be thinking to yourself, you need to get in touch with your inner Tarzan. <laughs> well, don't worry. I really think that you will be able to relate to all the principles in this message because one of the keys to developing a Christ-like character is learning to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. So I'm going to invite you in your program there. There's the message notes. And grab those out real quick. And we're going to take a look at our first verse, which is 2 Peter 1, verses 5 to 7. 2 Peter 1, 5 to 7 says this. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, 
and self-control with patience, endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Now you see up here highlighted is this word, the words brotherly affection. In the original Greek language, it's the word Philadelphia. Now you've heard that word before, right? Philadelphia is known as the city of what? Brotherly love, right. And that's exactly what Philadelphia means. You see, phileo means love, and adelphos is the word brother. Brotherly love, brotherly affection, or mutual affection. You see, within this passage, what it's referring to is the idea that just as we've received God's love into us, that we are to share that love with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So 2 Peter 1.22 says this, You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show a sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Now this verse points out very clearly that loving one another is actually one of the key purposes of our salvation. And it's interesting that in the book of 1 John, John tells us that our love for one another is actually one of the things that authenticates that our faith is actually real. And so we're going to talk about some good reasons as to why we should love one another. The first one is this. Brotherly love teaches us to love unconditionally. Unconditionally. You know, uh, we say that we love burritos and we love our wives, right? (laughs) I mean, we totally mean different things. At least I hope so, anyway. (laughs) But we use the same word love. Well, in the Greek language, there's actually three words for love, and it's very helpful for us, especially in this passage. One of the Greek words for love is eros. In eros, it describes a love of pleasure. it's, It's the whole idea of loving something that pleases the self, right? And another word is Philea, and it's used to describe the love of mutual attraction. You know, sort of what we're talking about here about the love of a warm friendship. And the last one is agape. And agape is used to describe an unconditional love, an unmerited love that seeks to benefit another without expecting anything in, their own, in, in return for their own sake. And this is the type of love that God loves with. You know, earlier we looked at 2 Peter 1.7, and in that verse we saw the term brotherly affection. That's just a little awkward, isn't it? (laughs) But what the translator is trying to do here is to distinguish between these two types of love. Phileo love, or brotherly love, and agape love, an unconditional love like God. So we're going to take a look. Let me give you an example of, 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 of how they're doing this. In the book of 1 John 4, 10 to 12. All right, let's take a look. It says here, this is real love. The word love here is the word agape, unconditional love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love, this is phileo, brotherly love, each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, And his agape love is brought to full expression in us. See, God's on this mission to mature us in his love. It's part of making us more like him. 
And he wants to move us out of this self-seeking, self-centered love to a love of mutual attraction, of brotherly love, and then further to a selfless love like his. You know, we come to Christ and we're selfish lovers, all focused on ourselves. And then God binds us together and we learn to be able to accept each other and to forgive each other and to love each other. And when we do that, God uses that to begin to teach us, to infuse us with agape love, a selfless love like his. We learn to express it like him. And that there, guys, is a manly love. Self-sacrificial love is what drives firefighters into the flames. It's what takes officers into the altercation. It's what moves soldiers into battle. And so when I tell you that God wants to make you a loving man, don't get freaked out. (laughs) You see, to be a loving man is to be a godly man, a manly man, a man of courage. I think of all of the heroes of 9-11 who went into danger in order to take people out. I think of our men and women in uniform who pay the ultimate price in order to keep us free. These are all great examples of what Jesus called as the greatest love of all, that someone would lay down their life for a friend. Second on the outline there is that brotherly love binds us together in unity. Binds us together in unity. We should never underestimate how important our unity is to God. If you think about it, in in the New Testament, in the letters that the the apostles wrote to the churches, the, the issue of unity is addressed over and over again. And can you just imagine why unity is such an important thing to God? I want you to listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 17 about how important he talks about unity as he speaks to the Father before he goes to the cross. In fact, if you have your pen and you're looking through this verse in your outline, circle the word in every time you see it. Ready? John 17. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be as we are one I in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Think about that. Jesus uses the word in several times. That is an incredible level of unity. Speaking of something that we can't even comprehend. You see, God lives in triunity. And we are said to be united in Christ. We live in common unity or in community with one another. And love is that bond that keeps us in unity. See, there's no Christian orphans in the family of God. Matter of fact, if your religion is just a spectator sport, guess what? You're not in the game. You can't love others if you're not in community with them. Colossians 3.14 says, Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. See, I'm, I'm really convinced 
that God has something in mind for us far beyond what we're even able to understand or comprehend or sometimes willing to experience. I mean, couldn't you just dream of a Christian community united in God's love, like the early church in the book of Acts? Well, loving each other well helps bring that sort of unity to reality. Point number three is that Brotherly love also draws lost people to Jesus. Brotherly love draws lost people to Jesus. You know, helping people find Jesus is really the most important thing that we can do while we're here on earth. It ought to be one of our top priorities. And, you know, we can talk about, um, you know, sharing our faith and evangelism strategies and, and, and going on mission trips. But ultimately, we just can't miss and can't forget what Jesus said is really one of the simplest proofs to the world that he's real and that he lives in us. Jesus said this in John 13, 34 and 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. If we really took the time to love each other well, I'm really convinced that we would have plenty of love to share with the world. And the world is desperately seeking for acceptance and love. And when love, God's love is on display, I mean, there's just such a magnetism to it that draws people to himself. I know that's part of my personal story, and I'm sure for many of you as well. Uncommon love is the greatest proof that God exists and that he really cares. So how do we do this? Well, let's talk about some keys then to manly friendship or to brotherly love, all right? So first one is this. It's a commitment to stand together, a commitment to stand together. I think life um, teaches us this lesson that love requires a certain level of commitment. And we need to know that a friend is committed to us, that they're there in our corner, that they'll be there when we need them, and we can count on them. We need a friend to stand with us so that we don't fall. You know, isolation leads to sin, and sin leads to isolation. And the enemy will do just about anything he can to get us to isolate ourselves because he knows that spiritual strength comes in numbers. There's a great verse that speaks to this really well from Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verse 12. It says this, A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. There's something incredibly spiritual about choosing to be in a committed spiritual friendship. Quality friends require quality time and loyalty and even sacrifice at times. These are incredibly rare qualities, but they produce rare results. And a great example of this is the friendship between David and Jonathan. You remember them from the Old Testament. And we see their story in 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 to 4. So after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. And there was this immediate bond between them. For Jonathan loved David. 
And from that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. See, Jonathan's commitment to David was very significant. You see, when when he gave David his robe and his sword and his bow and his belt, he essentially surrendered his rights to his father's throne. He was saying to David, there is nothing that I will not give to you. And when Jonathan's father Saul began to get jealous of David and began to hunt him down, Jonathan's friendship with David became very um, endangering to his own life. And it was Jonathan's faithfulness and his spiritual encouragement that helped David become the man who would eventually be king. Jonathan can teach us a lot about real relationships and real friendships and that they mean something. That they mean being there and standing in the gap and praying for a friend and investing in our relationships. You know, we need friends like that and we need to be a friend like that. Second is that we need to be near. We need to be near. Have you ever heard uh, the term man's best friend? (laughs) What's it used for? A dog. I mean, guys... (laughs) How is it that we got trumped by four-legged Fido here? I mean, it's kind of sad. But in some ways, it really makes sense to me, you know? Because dogs possess, a really good dog anyway, possesses the quality traits of a good friend. I mean, dogs are devoted. You know, I can come home in a terrible mood, discouraged, just ready to give up. And my dog just runs up and just wants to be right by my side. You know, a dog is devoted And that is, devotion is a very important key to good friendship. Romans 12.10 tells us, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. A good friend is near in a time of need. Willing to pitch in, willing to come alongside, and willing to help carry the load. You know, but more than just being present, being near... It's more than that. It's actually even about being vulnerable. You know, allowing someone to get in and allowing them to get close enough to know you deeply and then getting a chance to know them deeply and accepting one another. I have a a picture in my office of uh, some friends and I. And on the bottom, there's a caption and it says this. It says, it is a great gift to be fully known and be fully loved. You see, close friends are safe people that we can bear our souls to and receive acceptance and challenge and comfort and care. James 5.16 says this, Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Now, honestly, this verse scares me to death. (laughs) I mean, it freaks me out. I look at that and it just produces insecurities in me. You know, because no one wants to admit their failures and uncover their shame, reveal the ugliness in their life. I just don't want to do that. But it's interesting if you look at what God does if we can actually get there. 
You see, he brings healing. And he sets us free. And he restores us. God put his Holy Spirit in us for a reason. And when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our friendship, it produces wondrous results. Being that close creates an incredible bond. So third is that we're going to work with God to strengthen your friend. Work with God to strengthen your friend. Now there are, um, there are times when manly friendships can get a little competitive, right? <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes, guys, there's this secret little game that goes on, you know, kind of like who's got the biggest barbecue grill, the biggest TV. You know, invite people over and look at my TV. <laughs> you know, the massive muscles, the cool car. You know, I don't tend to do really well in these competitions. <laughs> but see, competition and self-promotion, they tend to be a little bit of a barrier in our relationships. And it's a great, great place when we can get to the point where we can promote our friend over ourself. When we can work with God to strengthen them and help a friend become all that God wants them to be. Proverbs 27, 17 says this, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. You know, if we're sharpening swords, we ought to be preparing a friend for battle and not using the blade to cut them down. We can strengthen a friend when we inspire them to follow the Holy Spirit's guidance in their daily life and then support them in that direction by using our time and our resources and the things that we have to help fulfill the dreams that God has for them. We can speak loving words of truth to help them refine their character and their integrity. I believe one of the greatest compliments that a friend can give us is when they say, God uses you in my life to make me a better person. We all need the support and encouragement and accountability that comes from a good friend to help us become everything that God has planned for us. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So the author of Hebrews is encouraging us as believers to stay connected, to love one another in community, and then to go serve God's purposes together. And that is exactly what the foundation of Twin Cities Church has been from the very beginning. You see, Twin Cities Church is a tremendous work of God in our community because what he has done in us, together, together. You see, we can't lose sight of that vision. We need to remain crystal clear, crystal clear that we're a part of something that God is doing and that we all need to be a part of it. And so this is what I want you to do. I want you to take a look at these notes and I want you to make a plan as to what is your next step in a spiritual friendship. It may seem like a very small thing, but God uses small things to make a big impact. Make a commitment maybe to pray with a friend or sit down and just be able to listen to them well or find a way to encourage a friend. And maybe as you sit here, you just can't think of a friend to do that with. And what I want to encourage you to do is to ask God to bring a friend like that to you. 
But you know what? Just don't sit there and wait for, for something to happen, fall out of the sky. Go out there and get connected with other Christians. Maybe a Bible study, a community group, or softball team, something like that. You know, go out there and trust that God will help you make a connection. You see, serving God's and seeing his plans fulfilled, it all begins with one step forward. I want to close from this great passage of verses from the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 12 and 13. And they see this. May the Lord God make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflows. May he, as a result... Make your hearts strong and blameless and holy as you stand before God, our Father, when our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I, uh, I thank you that you are fully committed to transforming us to be more like you. We know that God is love that you are love, Lord, and we want to be more loving people. Help us to have hearts, hearts that, that beat with you. Help us, God, to have belief and faith that through loving one another, God, you can teach us to love selflessly and that that type of love can transform our community, our families, and our world. Lord, we invite you, God, to connect us to help us to experience this spiritual connection in reality of what you've done in our hearts and our lives. And we thank you, God, in Jesus' name, amen.